Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. to the wise men say podcast it's good friday it's easter this is the first ever time we've recorded um on a morning so excuse us if we sound a little bit uh, jaded and mid coffee but uh, that's gonna be the way it is joined this morning by chris weatherspoon good morning how are we doing doing all right um it's been going out on walks i've been uh, just walking around shops walking within two meters of people coughing on people it's been great <laughs> <laughs> can't wait until can't wait until we actually do this stuff for real <laughs> so chris what have you been up to then um well crash bandicoot arrived yesterday so um that um we did a quiz night on wednesday that was fun um how did you get on with that? Well, I, I was hosting, so thank, thankfully, oh, pro- thankfully, Ali McCoy's, McCoy's didn't come up. Thankfully. Yeah, that's a shame. Um, did you mention yeah. that, Chris? Did you mention your terrible? <laughs> no, I left that out. Oh. Um, I've got PTSD over that, so I thought I'd just leave that. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean, it is a. It, these are simpler times we're living in. Yeah, we we just got um, we just got Disney Plus the other day. Um, we spent all of yesterday, the entire day, with a break to go cycling, um, watching Simpsons. It's been brilliant. I think that's a very effective use of your time. Yeah, great. Look, they just keep because they just keep stacking them up. You know, there's no kind of there's no chill. It just <laughs> as soon as one finishes, the next one starts. It's like brilliant. Does it? Well, you, does well, you got planned this? Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say, on, does Disney Plus at least ask you if you're still there, like Netflix did? I've not, I don't think Netflix does yeah. that anymore because it already knows that everyone has to still be there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, every now and then it'll kind of like say, "Do you want to watch the next episode?" And I'm like, "Yeah, yes." <laughs> so, Rory, what you got planned this Easter weekend? Then, like, this is the most sad I've probably been about the pandemic. Cause I love Easter weekends, um, as me and Matthew always say it's better than Christmas because the weather's nicer. You've got the same amount of football going on as you do over Christmas. Everyone's in the pub. You've got those bank holidays squeezed in. And like, I forgot yesterday. I was like, oh yeah. Well, one, I forgot it was even Friday tomorrow. Like when, like last night. And then I was like, oh yeah, it's good Friday as well. And then I was like, oh no, like we should have had like Wimbledon away. And then. Yeah, we we should we should be getting beat at Wimbledon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we should be getting beaten in, a, in front of an away end that only holds about four people. But unfortunately, <laughs> we're just going to be shacked up and 
drinking cans and doing things like this, which, you know, like you, like Chris was saying, it's a simpler sort of time and we're all making the best of it and doing these podcasts is obviously a great relief for us as much of, as the listener, like at the point now where we want them to be good, but don't really care if anyone's listening anymore because they're a good sort yeah. of relief for us as much as anything. Yeah, it's been really nice to get some some positive messages from people as well, just saying that we're they're really enjoying the kind of the looser format that that we're employing <laughs> at the moment. I mean, the, the the weird the weird one with this this particular show is that we are, we actually are going to talk about football um, later on in the show. We're gonna we're gonna talk about um, the AFL situation and also the situation closer to home at Sunderland as well. Just just kind of talk about when football is going to come back. You know, what kind of shape is it going to be in? But first part of the show, we're going to take a little bit. It's not a deep dive, deep dive at all. It's more of a scratching the surface of uh, the second series of Sunderland Till I Die, which dropped two weeks ago on Netflix. I take it that you've both you've both completed the series. Yeah, I did yeah. it in a one in one day. Yeah, I did it. Did it in one. I was doing. I was cooking as well. I was like kind of all over the house with with my phone watching it. So, huh. so did yeah. you pretend you were Joyce the chef at any point since you were cooking while watching it? <laughs> Well, I've, I've got I've got like a proper chef's apron now, so so yes, Chris, yes. Have been drinking copious amounts of vodka while you were on as well. <laughs> <laughs> I did it over. Um, I, I had to do it over two days. It was too um, it was too agonising to do over one. Yeah. So what, what's what's your kind of what's your initial take from it, Chris? Um, I think like I thought the what made the first one good or at least um kind of interesting was like the insight it gave into how like the fans and people of the city interact with the football club i thought that was like quite lacking in this one i mean to be honest like let's be let's be truthful it's a it comes across a lot as a bit of a vanity exercise for our departed but not departed executive chair uh Whatever, whatever the hell his role was, executive director. And I just think, like, it is, to be fair, it's it's interesting. There's bits that are, like, your classic car crash television, but I think, I don't, I, I don't know if you two agree, but I didn't feel like the balance was quite there. I thought, like, the bits in, I think it's, like, later on in the series in episodes, like, five and six, which do focus more on the actual football and on the fans, yeah. those felt kind of the most human out of the entire show, like um, yeah, I mean, obviously we'll we'll go into a bit more depth, but I felt like there was a there was a lot of scenes where you were like, well, this probably isn't scripted, but it feels like the people who are in it are acutely aware that there's a camera on them, and mm. there's yeah, just not enough just, football, yeah. is there? Yeah, really, no, not really. Second the f- series, didn't it? Yeah, like series one, they tell the story really well through the football. That's that's happening in it. And this one, like you're saying, Chris, a lot of it feels quite scripted and it's just, yeah, it's fascinating seeing the behind the scenes stuff, but it's just, there's too much of that. And I guess that peaks with the Will Grigg thing as much as you're watching it from behind the sofa because it's so cringy. But if you think of the Charlton game, for example, I was really looking forward to the yeah. Charlton sort of um, first game of the season, rather, not the playoff final. I wasn't looking forward to seeing the playoff final again at all. <laughs> oh, no. But I was quite looking forward to seeing that first game of the season because it was such like a rebirth of the club and like the atmosphere going into the game was quite positive and it didn't really get across how emotional Gucci's 
winner was. You know, if you think back yeah. into in Series 1, when the the Fulham game, where we win at home for the first time in a year, they get that across really well. Like, there's, yeah. isn't it the bit where, like, Gareth and uh, Stephen, Stephen's listing the teams that have beaten us, or that we failed to beat, and Gareth says the clocks have gone back twice. There's nothing, like, really pulling the the narrative along, I guess, like that. And when Gooch scores, it's just like, yeah, we've won the game and everyone's celebrating, but you don't realise like this team never wins at home in August. Like it doesn't like get those little details in about how much of a big deal this actually is and how oh we've finally done we've finally got that monkey off our back already in the season and we've got this new young manager as well as the the new owners. It just doesn't yeah. get little things like well not yeah. little things, it doesn't get major things like that across I, at all. I think that's a fair like, point. I think like if you would have watched that episode on its own, and maybe even like the first two or three, you could be forgiven for thinking it was a documentary about Stuart Donald and Charlie Methven rather than some in the FC. And like, look, like I, I get it. And I mean, I think the thing we have to remember as well is like this isn't the show isn't made for us really. It's made for like a wider audience, and I can see why they went down that path. I, I just wonder whether they went a little bit too far, and like without skipping ahead too much, but. Um, the Fleetwood game, which is obviously like episode five or six, like it's towards the end. Um, the the away game when people are furious about what's happened. I don't really feel like, like you said, Rory. I don't really feel like just watching the show. You you know enough of what's gone before. And I, I've got I've got a mate who's a Lincoln fan. He was like, it kind of like portrays like Southern fans as turning really quickly yeah like, it d- doesn't yeah. get across the fact that like we went to Peterborough and chucked that result away yeah like it, it like, can quickly doesn't have to show those games even it can like list that Sunderland were doing really well and since the Czech trade final they've drew however many games and because everyone I was at the Fleetwood game everyone was fuming after that it was the yeah. most angry I'd been after a game in a while really because we didn't really lose many times that season but like you say Chris you're not really sure why you think? Oh, they've just lost one game and they're going to the playoffs, and they're they're all absolutely yeah, human. The and it's like like when in reality it was kind of three months of getting progressively worse, three or four months of getting progressively worse, and it just like, like I know they've got like a finite amount of time and stuff, but um, it does feel like yeah, like you said, Rory. I think they focused a lot more on the off the off the field stuff, which is fine. But then if they show stuff like that, you need a bit more context. Yeah, I think for for me, there wasn't enough focus on the rest of the squad and the the work that that Jack Ross did over that summer. I mean, you can't you can't underestimate the fact that he had barely any players and he had to assemble a whole a whole team in a short amount of time. There was no kind of even like they seemed to go out of the way not to mention the likes of Maguire. There was like it was a bit in the in the Charlton game where Maguire had a chance and it look it sounds like they've cut the commentary just as Barn, uh, Nick Barnes is about to say Maguire. It's it's almost as if it's like they're concentrating so hard on. The narrative that that this was Luke O'Neill's game for some reason, um, when in real in reality it wasn't. It had really nothing to do with Luke O'Neill at the time. It was more about Barley Mumba because he was a you know sixteen year old starting his his first game for the club, and they, they seemed to have just glossed over that. What what we said at the time, because it was a, it was a lunchtime kickoff, wasn't it? The Charlton game, and it was a lovely day, and it was we we all went off to a beer festival afterwards, and it was it was just it was a great it was a great day. Like the the producers had like kind of a ready made narrative there, as 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 Rory says that was that was the rebirth that was a kind of like the kickstart of the of the season and 
I don't. Know, I think they fudged it a bit when they, when they didn't really have to because it was all there in front of them, ready yeah. for ready to ready to kind of lay out. I think as well, like I think because um, I know like there's been some pieces doing the rounds like this last week about like stuff that got missed out, which I which I understand, but. I think like there was so much that went on last season that you would need you'd need like a twenty four part series to get everything in, and because um, one of the things I was thinking like when we talked about like the narrative of the Charlton game like I thought a really good angle would have been like the Lyle Taylor thing because obviously he was like up here and they tried to sign him and then there was a bit of a public kind of falling out and stuff one side saying one thing one saying the other and it would have been I, th- I think it, like the Lugo Nine thing. I got the feeling it was kind of like the Johnny Williams thing from season one, where they they'd like latched onto a player, and that yeah. that was gonna no matter what happened, it was gonna be focused on them. In fair, in fairness to a nine, I do think he comes across really well across the course. Yeah, of the he does. He does. He's um yeah. He seems he seems a, a nice lad, like kind of one that that mums would love. <laughs> we already knew that though. Like that's not telling us like anything particularly yeah. new but again like Chris said like it's not necessarily for us is it I guess with Johnny Williams in the first series it showed us that like fragile side of the footballer and I don't think we really get much I don't think there's and you know maybe it wasn't necessarily there with Nine. maybe it was like you know he's obviously a different person probably a different personality but it went a little bit deeper with Johnny Williams and it never really done, did that with Luke Orne. It just feels like everything that they did in this series was just, for the majority of the time, just scratching the surface with things and it feels a bit... Yeah. Apart from with Donald and Methvin, who there's obviously a lot of, it's just a bit scattered in terms of things like that, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think... I've written down here that there's not enough banter moments... I know we, we you know we had eight episodes of the of the first series and it was eminently kind of gifable and quotable and we all came away with like catchphrases straight straight away from it as well hey, and like wh- texting a- each other about characters and stuff and there was there was I think the fans that they focused on in, in this series, uh, with the greatest respect, they're just they're just not they're not they're not the box office ones that you know, the the pay of the ref was wasn't even wasn't even referenced to by name in the second series. He was just a like, kind of an incidental. Because yeah, he's called he's called um, Pay the Ref. That's why. Mister PT Ref. But I love how he just pops up and it looks like he's just like filming himself on his phone. And, like everyone else yeah. is, get, they're coming to like everyone else's house. Like you're saying, Richard, they get like their names on and everything. And the Pay the Ref guy is just like popping up randomly. Although they're, they're yeah. in like a tea like tea house tea shop sort of thing with him at one point, aren't they? With him and is that before the yeah, check trade? I think so, yeah, with him yeah. and I presume his, like, his wife. But again, it just like it looks like they bumped into him by accident. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, best, best filming. But I mean, we, we, all, we all know that they did a hell of a lot of filming for series, for series two because, uh, I mean, the, the podcast was, was filmed most weeks so, and I, I remember seeing cameras all over the place. But yeah. I, I think mean, sorry, yeah, I was go just going to say, I wonder, like, obviously they've only got six episodes compared to to eight this time and it's taken a lot yeah. longer for it to come out so it, it does make you wonder like what whether there's been something more going on where they've had to like push to get it like yeah get it on for the second series if you know what i mean um like i i do agree though i think uh to be fair i, I think pete the taxi driver comes across as well as ever 
Yeah. Uh, oh, do, yeah. He's the best did, out of the fans, easily. I mean, Richard, you've alluded to this, but there's like a an almost heartbreaking moment, isn't there, with him? Do you know what I'm talking about? I can't remember now. But no, like when, when a certain episode opens and he's stood somewhere and you're like, why is, why is oh, he there? Yeah, yeah, he? yeah. It's at the, at the Brexit rally. I think that's one yeah, of the... I, th- I thought it was... I thought it was going to be like a... a he's going to like unzip his jacket uh, to reveal like a... You know, no a deal No deal means no deal or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yes, that famous catchphrase. <laughs> but that goes to, like, show how all over the place it is. Like, why has it got... Like, when it showed him there, I was like, oh, Pete's obviously, like, a Brexiteer. And then he's like, well, I don't want us, but, like, we're a Brexit city. And it's like, you've just shoehorned that in to get across that Sunderland voted leave. But if you wanted to shoehorn that in, they could have done that in Series 1. Like, it was more... Yeah. It to happened honest, more recently then. Yeah. I, I think that's, like, regardless of, like, other bits like related to football, I think that's the most like frustrating scene in the whole show because, I mean, we've talked, I think we've possibly even talked about it on the podcast before, I know we've all talked about it amongst ourselves, but like, someone for whatever reason has held up as like the poster boy of Brexit when it's total bollocks. There's like, there's like 40 odd places that voted for Brexit, the higher yeah. majority than someone did. And I think, like, I don't, I don't think most of the series, I don't, think any other parts of the series are like a lazy narrative but i thought that was and i actually thought it was quite an unfair narrative to kind yeah. of plant on especially when like you say rory and richard like the guy who they're using to kind of like i mean i imagine i assume they've like said to him oh we need you to go down there and then talk about it, like but he doesn't support it so it just didn't make any real sense i didn't yeah. really understand that but. like i thought that would be explored a little bit more after that and, and then maybe then it would be a bit more understandable if like i don't know there was kind of a thread of it throughout that particular episode but it's like the sort of like cold open before the opening credits isn't it and then yeah. it's just never referenced again it does a bit of a similar thing with um the remembrance day a bit which opens yeah, another yeah. episode which again just feels randomly sort of shoehorned in there. I don't know if they're trying to, like, yeah. tell a bit more of the story about the the fan that is, like, formerly in the forces, but, again, it's focusing... It, it doesn't come up again at all, so it feels a bit redundant, like, what what's it, what's it in there for? And before, like, we move on on talking on the fans, I totally agree in that they're not particularly box office, like you were saying, Richard... Um, yeah. But I think it's a bit sort of narrow in the type of fans it focuses on. They're all rough. Well, the, we find out it's one of their birthdays, don't we, when he's turning 40. So he's probably yeah. the youngest out of the fans that they focus on. Everyone else is sort of, you know, middle-aged, if not like quite a bit older than that. You know, there's the couple where with the Irish fella, there's the other couple the, with the woman with the sort of dark hair, like I've totally forgotten their name, sorry. And obviously Pete the taxi driver as well. And it's just like, could we not have had some younger fans in there? Like you you know, you sort of like Daphne's who like go to away games to give like a different perspective on that. Like I'm saying Daphne's yeah. like in in, in Deeran sense, by the way. Like yeah, yeah. it just Is this fit- you trying to get yourself on? No, because I'm, 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 I'm trying to get Mickey Loff on. I'm trying to get Mickey Loff on. Yeah, I'm already on, Chris. What do you mean? <laughs> oh, of course. Sorry, yeah. Exactly. Your head's Extreme literally closer. taking over the screen. It's taking up the whole screen. Great. But, it, like, it feels like we're getting the same perspective of all those fans and they're kind of just 
blur into one a little bit. That's not like a dig on them particularly. Like I'm sure they're all like you know nice people or whatever, but it's just a bit. It makes it feel a bit pointless. But to be fair, to counteract that, I think the woman with the the dark hair gives arguably the best line of the series when. It's, yeah, it's at Wembley and she says, why is it never us celebrating? Like, why is that never us? And for all the that faults should... this series might have, that is probably the best thing of summing up being a Sunderland supporter. Yeah. That, <laughs> yeah. that is literally what should be on the club badge, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. no, none, of, none of this Latin shade, just why is it never us? <laughs> it's great though. And like it sums up, well, it sums up going to Wembley as well. Like you have this great weekend, but then at the end of it... It's not you celebrating, and I think the Wembley trips are put over quite well. Like the scene in yeah, the, they are. the scene in the train station at King's Cross. Like, if that was in like a fictional film, you would think that was absolutely ridiculous, and you'd think, nah, that never happened, especially for the Checker Trade Trophy. But it did. They were getting like greeted off the train. <laughs> like there were people waiting for them getting off the train. Like there were the Beatles. Yeah. Like it's yeah, it was, it was totally Beatles esque. Like I proper Beatlemania for like Luke Owen yeah. and Grant Ledbetter. <laughs> and like they hadn't they hadn't like won anything yet and they didn't even win anything. And even if they did, like I say it would have just been the Checker Trade trophy. But the shot where it's like following them, like getting on the bus and the fans are like essentially doing a guard of honour for them and like offering them handshakes and someone like offers them a can and stuff like that. It's brilliant, and that does make you think, like, God, just imagine if we were, like, half-decent. Imagine if we were just, like, all right. I think, to be fair, on that point, I think one bit that they, like, where they do get it across, and we did say before that, like, it's better later on in the series, but when they're talking to Pete in um, Covent Garden, and he basically talks about, like, how he's essentially saying that no matter what, people won't miss this kind of thing. And and I think that that... That's probably the bit that gets across, for me anyway, what like certain elements of last season were. Like, I mean, um, to be fair, like the, the checker trade, I don't think until, for me personally anyway, I, I wasn't nervous before the game because it was just like, we're just here to have a bit no, of fun. Yeah, we're just here to have a bit of fun. And then like, I, I was good at it at the end, but nowhere near as good at it as I was after the, the Charlton game. And I think it, I think it probably is testament actually that, they do get the end of the series a lot closer to kind of the actual experience, I think, because that's the first yeah. time I've ever watched it back, and like I was, I was gutted watching it again. Like I actually found it quite difficult yeah. to watch. Yeah, me too. I, I just found it as gut wrenching a defeat as it was in real time, and I, and I wasn't there for full time whistle. I, as soon as the goal went in, me, me and my daughter just just left straight out the exit. Um, and there were people crying going down the stairs, and there were people crying outside the ground. Um, I wasn't crying, but I was, I was the closest I've got in a long while to crying at a football match. And yeah. uh, just watching it back and seeing everyone's reaction and, and just how utterly gutted everyone was and just like the life had just been sucked out of everybody. It was really difficult, and they got that across pretty well. No, I agree. Um, it was... You saw, like, I remember walking out the ground and you bump into those people, like, you know, and you see that they can't even speak or anything like that, which was, like you're saying, Chris, like, totally different in the checker trade. I don't think I particularly was like, right, we need to win this until I first started hearing Portsmouth fans shouting Blue Army and play up Pompey. And I was like, right, we we need to fucking beat these today, <laughs> which we didn't. But at least we got some kind of revenge in the playoff semi semi finals. But again, I don't think it really. 
ramped up the sort of atmosphere going in the playoff semi-final either and the fact that there was the chance to like get one over on Portsmouth after the, but the th- checker trade. To be fair though, that's like reflective of the reality because if you remember, I mean, I think one of the more disingenuous bits of the entire show is when it shows um, Methvin talking about like drumming up in a drumming up um, the attendance for the playoff semi-final game. And as we all know, that didn't happen. Like They, they yeah. went quiet the week before. Yeah. We, all, we all know why. And and that, so that, that bit was like quite disingenuous. And to, to be fair, there's a couple of bits. Like I mean, that would have been a good opportunity to showcase like the fanzines trying to trying to drum stuff up. I thought like the, the Boxing Day thing, like there was a whole episode on getting 46,000 for Boxing Day, which is fair enough. But they completely missed out, like the gift of football thing, which was a fan's element. Yeah, it was a huge element, yeah. and and that was like, like I mean, obviously they they paint this narrative of like Sunderland people from Sunderland being not very well off and kind of like scraping the pennies together and all that sort of thing. So you had this, um, you had this event where literally fans were like helping out other fans and literally giving them a, a Christmas gift kind of, and that wasn't even mentioned and I, I just thought and it was a fan driven thing it was quite organic yeah, as well it, it, it was a guy it was a guy on Twitter wasn't it yeah. who like who yeah. came up with it and then the club understandably like leapt on it which is fine like I think they I think they gave him credit at the time so there's nothing wrong with that but and that was that was really strange I mean there's there's a there's an element there's bits of it that make you wonder like how much of a say have certain individuals had in the edit of yeah. this? Yeah, because, that's not bad point. Because that like, Boxing Day episode is is great, like for me personally, because I work in marketing and communications myself, and it was really interesting to see how how that process came about and what messages they were pushing out and how they were doing it on a strategic level. But for the average fan, probably not really that interesting. I mean, it was quite quite a lot of boardroom meeting room stuff where they where they're just talking through strategy and stuff, and it, it's not really. I guess, I guess Methvin's behaviour like keeps it spicy enough, doesn't it? Like yeah, the fact yeah. that he's so horrible to Sophie. Is, is it yeah. Sophie? Is that a name? Who, yeah, that's a name. Who works for the club and like the way he just the bit where he says like someone needs to get me a beer and he's obviously implying that she needs to go and get him a beer. So she does. Yeah. It's just like she should have tipped that out of his head. He's, it's just vile. Like it's just that horrible corporate like macho like bullying style behavior which he clearly believes is what you need to do to get results and then he wonders why no one can stand him yeah the thing is like i mean there's been i think in fairness like a lot of reaction to that has been what my reaction was which was a it's a pretty scummy way to talk to anyone but it's an especially scummy way to talk to someone when you when you know full well that the cameras are on you both like if okay like we can we can go into who was right who was wrong and that but if you're really that dissatisfied like just say i'll speak to you after this but that that entire scene at pitch side was done for no other reason than to boost his ego yeah and yeah and the thing is he's just like i mean my opinions on him are pretty clear anyway but he's just not a nice bloke he's not a nice person that that isn't how like i've seen people say oh like that's what you need you need people like kicked into gear like kind of thing well okay if if that's the point, then yeah, you kick people into gear, then you, you bring people in and you build things up. This bloke's this bloke's gone at the first sign of trouble. Yeah. This, this bloke's no longer. I mean, he still makes his mouth go every chance he gets, but he's he's not 
he's not a director at the club anymore. He's not actively involved. That's not management. Basically, what he's done in, he's come in, he's shouted at everyone in front of the cameras. He's, I mean, the footage, even some of the footage is like edited to suggest like that he's right kind of thing. Like it shows like people rolling their eyes at, in some of his presentation. If he'd said some of the stuff he'd said in that presentation, I think I would have rolled my eyes because like it's pathetic. Yeah. It, it's your classic oh, blue sky. Let's let's do some blue sky thinking and touch base. Like no, I tell you what, like let's do something tangible and don't be a dickhead to your staff while you're going. I, I just thought the whole. I mean. We haven't even talked about the first episode and the EDM continues scene, <laughs> but like I just thought, I thought the whole, um, the whole boxing the episode, it, it was quite abhorrent. Like it was just you, the word you used before, or it was vile. Like there's no need for it whatsoever. And I think, like, thankfully, a lot of people have said, look, whether they were performing or not, you don't speak to people like that. There's there's absolutely no need for it. But it's quite clear as well that. He's not spending as much time at the club as is is being made out. It's making it sound like he's trying to make it sound like he's spending like twelve hours a day there. And he, the bit where he says people are leaving at four fifty nine, and Tony Davidson immediately goes, "They're not Charlie. They're not like because yeah, exactly. he's the bloke who's there all he's the time." The and there, you know yeah. what? If they're clocking off at the time they finish, like so what? Like people have got lives, Charlie. People like have like kids to pick up or like t- like tea to put on for their families or like i say they've just got a life and we spend half our lives at work traveling to and from it if they're leaving at five o'clock and like that that horrible culture of like oh you need to like stay like an hour later or you're not like doing your job and stuff like that it's just no nah, mate it's just bollocks and all of your ventures charlie have failed mate yeah, sorry well, this, but yeah, they have that's so the thing. It, well, it, is, it, it's clearly like not a practice that's been working for you is it and like you it, were saying chris he's gone at the first sign of trouble here as well but that's the main thing as well like kind of like people go oh you should be kind of kind of working past five you should be doing this like it's the most like outdated kind of yeah. idea it's not a like i've worked I've worked at places before where people stay after five to look good. It's not productive. Yeah. It's just it's just to curry favour. And to be honest, it's a sign of like bad management that that Methuen actually thinks that, that that that's the issue there. Like, oh, people are leaving at five o'clock. Like, well, okay, but why don't you have a look at how productive they've been before five o'clock, sort of thing? And like you say, I mean, this is a bloke who like. <laughs> he tells people we need to understand what good looks like. He's been caught saying we're all unbelievably uneducated in business, yet he started up a newspaper which burned through over ten million quid in seven months and went bust. <laughs> like I, I think, I think there's other people who we can take lectures from, and I don't think it's him. Fully agree. So yeah, it. I, I think the the main takeaway from that is that there's there's. Maybe too much. It, it does feel corporate. It feels like they've had sign off. Um, it it, it kind of makes for a very kind of contrived and for me a less enjoyable experience. Um, it may it might get better with the second view, um, but I'm I'm not I'm not sure. And there's talk of a of a series three. Um, there's whisperings that they, that they've been filming again for series for a series three. Um, hopefully they they can kind of get the characters right and and, and really really nail what it is to be at, at Sunderland Football Club. No, indeed. Can you still, can um, you still hear me? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Look, look, I was waiting for Rory. No, <laughs> right, it, do, it does. Hopefully they can, if, if you know, if there is to be a, a Series 3 and 
God, hopefully it's a happy ending as well and can get back to the sort of root of what made series one so good. Like, we didn't even get as much, like, stuff with the, you know, Joyce, the chef at the club and, like, the, Leanne, the player liaison officer, these, like, good characters who work in there. We get, like, little snippets of them, but there's not as much focus on that even when, like, things are bad at the club, which obviously Series 1 was massively about, there's still this, like, warmth and this, like, heart to the place as well. Like, and, and these, these are that beating heart. We do get a good bit, to be fair, with um, John Cook, the, the kit man, when he, like, says that he always wanted Charlton in the playoff final. He doesn't know why. And narrator, there's not one Charlton in the playoff final. But, I don't know, hopefully we can <laughs> resume some of that that heart and... Just what made this first series so good, and why you know, and why they ended up being a, a series two? Why there was a clamour for series two as, as much as anything? I think the the main the main thing for me is that at the same time Tiger King dropped, and I watched that one, which is seven episodes. Watched it back yeah. to back, and I'm on a second lap of it now because I was like, I want to, I want to let me back into this because because it's there's so much to pick at, and and. I mean, it's it's different, two different things, you know. You've got a, you know, you've got a, a flamboyant, elegantly dressed, eccentric lead character with a, uh, oh, that, that that's Joe Exotic, not Charlie Meth. But <laughs> you know, there's 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 a bit more going on in Tiger King, um, and I I wonder what the wider appeal is sometimes for 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 the, especially for this series. I don't know what the wider appeal was. It felt a little bit um, indulgent for fans, but but nothing much going on for for the average. You know, person who's sitting in like Portland or Arizona or something who's who's watching it as a casual. I don't think it's enough there for them, but they're filming for series three, so let's see see what they do with it. I think, like, yeah, I th- like. I mean, I've said it already, but like, I think it it feels less about the club and more about the people who've taken over the club. Um, and I I think that's like natural in a way because I mean they have granted them an awful lot of access um, I mean we're literally going to Stuart Donald's home like we're, we're at the Roga Hotel like the morning before the Charlton game like we're in the we're in the we're in the box with them and stuff so I kind of I do understand that but I, at the same time like, it's hard for me anyway like it's hard for me to detach like the Sunland fan from it and look at it objectively if you know what I mean um, yeah like like one of the things, like well, I know there's like people laughing about like kind of meth and like shouting at Wembley kind of thing. But one of the first things that jumped out to me was like, how vain do you have to be to be mic'd up for like a cup final and a playoff final? And like, and I just like to me, I'm I, w- I was always even when I thought his time was up, I was always like a fairly big fan of like Jack Ross especially as a person I thought he came across really well and I think one of the things that for me comes out of this is like you come away you come away with a bit more of an appreciation of like the kind of circumstances Ross was working under like realistically when that I mean it, it happens in the cup final and it happens in the Coventry game where mid-game kind of the manager's getting slagged off by his employers. And it's like, real, realistically, he could still be there now. Like, they didn't know that he wasn't going to be in charge of the football club. Um, 
like when this came out kind of thing and it's just it's just not very professional way of approaching things it's also full of rubbish because like i mean i think it was tom walsh pointed out to us but methan says like oh none of the teams i've ever supported first of all how many teams has this bloke supported but he (laughs) goes none of the teams i've ever supported have conceded five at home and they literally got beat 7-0 off wigan like a year before (laughs) and who scored a (laughs) hat-trick And it's Probably just his son Will Grigg, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, we haven't really discussed him, have we? No, all Madger, the whole striker yeah. sort of drama. So they're, they're the kind of like the, the Madger things. The Madger is like situation is huge in those those first three episodes, isn't it? It's just like that dominates. I don't think it it dominated the the narrative in in reality that that much until until December, um, when it was very much. Willy won't he? And there was lots of kind of ultimatums. It was a ridiculous ultimatum from from Ethan that wasn't referenced at all in the no. documentary. That 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 did kind of disrupt the the whole course of things. I thought um, he come across yeah. came across really well, Josh Madger. Like, yeah, he did. obviously very young lad. Like, what was he nineteen during that yeah. season? And you know, we didn't expect him to be leading the line. And when it turned out that he would be due to the injury to to Charlie White and the fact that another striker hadn't really came in we didn't expect him to be as good as he was and he comes across quite like sweet and quite like humble in like when she was going to turn on the Christmas lights and he's like do I have to say anything and they want him to and he's like no 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 and he, he quite obviously he's not struggling with the weight of expectation because like he was fantastic on the pitch but the way he sort of he's obviously not expecting to be this like massive figure because even though Sunderland are in league one if the team are doing well and you're the star striker you're going to be you're going to have all this like weight on your like this sort of expectation on your shoulders and you're going to you are going to be a superstar for a lot of people because the club still has this massive fan base and you can tell he's kind of doesn't know like not know how to handle it like because like I say his performances were so good but he's clearly a little bit sort of overwhelmed by it and when you've got that transfer speculation going on as well like fair enough from wanting to leave it to his agent because for a young lad that's like a lot to deal with as well and if he was by far our best player which he was if we kept him we would have been promoted and his wages comparatively to some weren't what they should have been and if offers weren't as good as they should have been no wonder he had, we ended up losing him like it would have I know it's easy to say this in hindsight, but it would have been financially, it would have been much better for us to have lost him for nothing in the summer than have just got one point five million for him in January because we'd have been a championship we'd have been we'd have been talking about a championship club now rather than a League One club if he'd stayed. Yeah. And the fact that he was still scoring goals throughout that time as well shows that he was a professional character. So even if he didn't really want to be there and if he thought, well, it's okay, I'm gonna get a move somewhere you know, somewhere in Europe, because that was his that was his agent's um, modus operandi to get to get players a move into in Europe. I, was was he um, was he uh, Sancho's agent? Yeah, as well? he was. Yeah, yeah. So so yeah, that that's his track record, and so you fully expect him to do that in the summer. But I think had we had Josh Madger for the rest of that season, he would have given as good as he'd given in the first half of the season. I don't think that's it, yeah, any doubt. I agree. I, I think like one of the things that I mean, it annoyed me at the time, and it's annoyed me like since since this came out and obviously the subjects read its head again is this idea that I down tools he was off I mean they, they even in the they even in the documentary try to make it out like he's just gone right I'm going I'm gone 
you never see me again, I've packed my bags and all that, and we had no choice in the matter. We absolutely did have a choice in the matter. I mean, Jack Ross came out afterwards and said that Magic came back to the academy and gave, like, flowers and gifts to kind of, like, the staff there. Like, that's not the sign of someone who's, like, up sticks and said, I'm not coming back again. Yeah. Like, and I, I just thought, again had editorial questions because like at the end of the day right like like look i think in this one i think there's probably blame on both sides as to the why it panned out the way it did but he's a 19 year old kid and i feel like he gets kind of hung out to dry like and i think speaking of scripted um um scenes did did anyone else feel like you know that scene with richard hill neil fox and Stuart donald in i think they're in like a hotel like kind of bar and they're talking about magic that just felt so kind of like okay all this has happened let's like kind of go back and like reenact it or whatever and i was just like like to be honest both that and the magic thing like whatever mine or other people's other opinions of like this ownership it just showed them up as like massively out of the depth like they came in that sorry that context's not provided at all that context is not provided at all that They've got no experience of running a club of this stature in in you know in the top in the in the top you know spent most of the their time in the top two divisions in the league and have to deal with these players have to deal with these types of agents as well they will never have dealt with an agent as, as kind of as no. big time as that it, it also i I could be wrong here because I know that like in the very first episode they like show um the um the interview that they did at BBC Radio in Newcastle. And I think it does mention Charlie's famous The Piss Take Party Stops Here line. But I'm sure yeah. like they were like really heavily like going in on agents all summer. And I don't really think it gets that across because essentially what happened was like in the summer they were given at the big end, but the ball was like always in their court. Like and Dong and Jillabodji forgot well, refused to turn up to training. Like so the ball was always in the club's court on that one. And this was the first time where like the other side of the table were like really holding the cards. Oh, sorry, the first time that was like really public, and they got they got like completely outmaneuvered. Like, like I know obviously there's been that article come out in the Mail this week, which looks like it's been fed there from presumably either Madge's agent or someone on that side of things. But like, they don't really have a reason. Like, they won. They 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 came off the better in that exchange. He's now he's in France. He's scoring goals. He's on more money. Like the agent, it's not been presu- a failed move, has it? Well, exactly. That's um, whereas, like, this is the thing. Like, you look at us, and we're we're like, is that my, that's my heat coming up? Um, we're <laughs> I didn't know what the noise was. Yeah, but we're like what we're seventh in in League One. We don't really look like going up, and. Um, I think there's just dropped off some bacon sarnies here, so this is great. But yeah, no, I just think um, Chris is having a really good good Friday. Yeah. This is class. Eating on, oh, oh, eating on. on at nine o'clock in the morning. Can, actually, can I just say they're not bacon; they're vegan sausages because it's Good oh. Friday, and that's good. There's that thing. So if if anybody's out there screaming at the <laughs> podcast provider right now, I just spoke there. Um, but yeah, no, I mean they they just get completely outmaneuvered, and like I mean, I'll let somebody else talk about the Greek thing, but. That is, it's just dreadful. And I think the, the problem is it does have, like, kind of repercussions because, like, the way they've gone about the business, it's just not befitting, like, this big club that we all believe that we are. And and I think, um, yeah, I mean, it's... 
I think having watched this, I know a lot of people are seeing, like, see Stuart Dorn comes out with a lot more credit. To me, I can see why the football club is where it is at the minute, based on um, various scenes in this. Yeah, and no, no scene sums it up yeah. better than the Will Grigg one. It's it's hard to know what to say about the Will Grigg one because it's just so. It's such a car crash. Everyone's telling them not to spend that much money on him. Jack Ross tells him he's not worth that. Richard Hill, to be fair to him, is save the club. Well, he didn't. He, that was his opportunity to save the club. Yes, he did have a glaring opportunity there. Yeah, exactly. He well, he's trying to. To be fair, he, he does say he like, try. "Don't spend more money on him." But then, at the why end, does he like, hug him? Exactly. Why does he hug him at the say, end? They're, they're like, diving on each other like they've actually won something. It's like, no, you both know you've massively overpaid it, and then he's joking on about how he can't afford to pay the pizza delivery guy, and it's just like, let's not rewrite write, rewrite history too much. I wanted him. I was delighted when he came in. I thought he was going to be firing us to, you know, to promotion or whatever. But when you look at it through that lens, and especially when Ross is saying, "Like, look, we'll just we'll we'll get on without him," it's just oh god, like it's just so it's so bad. Like oh, like like you're watching just like Stuart. What are you doing? Like you, it it just shows how out of his depth he is. Yeah, but it's like the the thing that really that I find annoying about it is, is it's exactly what we were told wouldn't be happening anymore. Like we were told, like we all know the reason this football club's in the position it was in and the position it's largely still in uh, without like a hundred and a million pound worth of debt is because we kept like spending stupid amounts of money on footballers who either we hadn't vetted properly or who just weren't good enough. And look, I, I agree with like at the time, like, I mean, I think at the time a lot of people said, look, the fee's ridiculous and this might have been a mistake, but they said in terms of the player himself, like, yeah, great, okay, we've signed the closest thing you can to guarantee goals, but it was... Looking... Like, this this is definitely with hindsight, but somebody at the football club should have been saying, well, hang on a minute, this guy's like a poacher and we don't really create many chances. Yeah. Like, even in... You could have just watched... You could have said on Netflix, can you just show us Madge's goals, please? Because the vast majority of his role... Yeah, they're, he, all, they're all self-made goals with his back to goal mostly on the half. Yeah, time, they are. Which, yeah, like which, that was the, the other thing yeah. that came across was just how good he was for the league kind of thing. But like, you see, yeah. Madges, you see that goal Madge scored against Barnsley, which was a fantastic a goal. goal. Yeah, yeah. But, Briggs but not doing that for you. No, that, that's a thing. And like, but that was like a theme of the first half of the season. We didn't create a lot of chances in the box, certainly not for the centre forward. So it's like what we've done is we've gone, we've we've got rid of Madge. Um, prime well, at least partially for financial reasons, and then we've just gone and blown it out of the water by chucking like three million. I mean, it's never going to rise to four, is it? Um, on on a bloke who's like twenty seven year old, he's got no reserve value and he doesn't fit in the team, and it's just like it was. Just, it's all the mistakes we're told wouldn't happen, but the difference is and. They obviously they talk about this in the show, despite what they've said since. The difference is at least like when the last bloke was doing it, he could afford it. Whereas now everything points to like since that day, we've been like, Oh crap, we don't have I mean he says it, he says like despite like what they've told us for like over a year, they actually say to a film crew, Yeah, we're not sure if we've got the money to see this through. And it's just like it's <sighs> I think that that is like where I struggle with this idea of like 
the genuineness and the honesty of it all. It's like, well, yeah, in the show, if you just watch the show on its own, okay, yeah, the, like, well, at least one of them comes across as a nice, genuine bloke. But line that up against what fans were told at the exact same point in time, and it's a very different story. Agreed. I think we've uh, I think we've covered pretty much everything on on that series now. Unless has Rory got anything else? I just want to forget about that season now. <laughs> will, any, will, will either of you go back and watch it again? Do you think? No, and I know we did the no. we did the deep dive to season two, which meant rewatching that one. But I'd already rewatched at least a few episodes from season one anyway. I can't imagine I'll be doing that with with series two, which we win more games in. Go to Wembley twice. That should be really the series that you would want to relive at least aspects of. Whereas because series one was put together so much better, I would recommend people watch that before watching series two. And you've got the banter moments in series one. You've got the Fredos. You've got Married Man with Six Kids. None (laughs) none of that in series two. I think as well, like, I think season one, like, no matter what's gone on since, it did kind of... It went, when it happened and when it came out, it was like a kind of hopeful ending. You were like, oh, there's going to be a new dawn. And it's just been the same old shit. <laughs> so it's like like the, like the end of like season two is just miserable. It's like, it's like um, I don't know, it, it's, like, it's like the end of a film where like a relative gets put down or something. You're just like, oh, shit. We all watched series one knowing that because it came out like halfway through last season where we were where we were doing all right it it felt like you know it ended on a high point and there's a little bit of a message of hope and and, and that things will get better but there's not not so much this time we, you know we we know where we are now true to form they haven't gotten better <laughs> yeah it, it's it's like one of those things where it fades to black and then it says like six months later they they turned off the life support machine and, <laughs> and, and, passed, and passed away but yeah, it's if you haven't seen it yet, and you probably don't need to now because we've just ruined everything. You just ruined for you. The, every scene. But you're, well, you're welcome. <laughs> we, we've watched this, so you don't have to. Okay, so um, after after the break, we're going to talk a little bit about actual football, uh, including furloughs, um, the AFL's ridiculous 56 day plan of to finish the season. Um, so join us after the break. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Welcome back to the Wise Men's Day podcast. As always, we're, we're, we're brought to you in, in partnership with uh, From the Terrace. At the moment, they're not producing stuff um, due to the due to the coronavirus, but they're working on new stuff ready for ready for reopening. So if you check out the social media, they've got a few new kind of products that they're, that they're trying out. So get that bootmarked, and when they open again, we'll uh, we'll all go to the match looking mint. So speaking of going to the match, that's something that the AFL are, are touting as a real possibility. Not actually us going to the match because the game's 
<laughs> which they're planning to play inside 56 days, including the playoffs, and there's a real prospect that these games are going to be played behind closed doors. So so I'll throw this open to, to the rest of the group. What, what, what's your views on that, Rory? I just think there are more important things to be focusing on if, you know... I'd rather wait until everything else is sorted before football comes back. I know there's the argument that, you know, even if they're behind closed doors and we can watch them, it's a bit of a distraction. But to be honest, I think the way the way everything's going on in the world right now, that's that's a distraction. I'm not really going to be focused on football in the same way or the same level of excitement. It'll just be something that's kind of there if it comes back in this guise and it just seems a bit stupid to be thinking about that. And I know the AFL need to be coming up with contingency plans and trying to finish the current season. I get that, but it's just not really from my mind in my mind anymore. Like the first week of like football, you know, not being around you, the current situation was a bit jarring and you were missing it. But now I'm just, I'm missing the social side of it. Yeah. And like going to the pub with like family and friends and stuff like that. But not missing particularly the actual football. I, I wonder if that's because of like, you know, we're not even in the playoff place at the minute. I do wonder if I'd be a bit more cynical about it if we were, say, like top of the league by 10 points and running away with that. I'd be like, shit, we better get this season finished and get, and get out of the division. But I don't think I would be. I think, like I'm saying, there's just too many more things that need sorting. You know, when people are dying like every day and the death rate keeps going up and hopefully that's going to flatten soon, I don't, I can't really think about, oh, is Phil Parkinson just going to name the same starting 11 again? Is Charlie <laughs> White going to like yeah. fail to hold the ball up? And like, no, the, I know football is the most important of the non-important things, but that applies to when things are a bit more normal, not when... <laughs> There's a pandemic going on. Yeah, it would seem really out of place. I mean, because I, I, I've obviously looking on social media quite a lot because I've got time to do so, uh, thanks to furlough. <laughs> and just look at, looking at the kind of the, the, the feed, you, you get all of this, all of this chat about coronavirus, the graphs, the, the, the you know the curve flattening the curve, all of the information, all the public guidance that you see, and then you kind of see the odd tweet about you know, Manchester United transfer news or football will start again soon. It just seems really out of place and it just doesn't, it seems to be completely, uh, I know it's out, out of out of kilter with, with what I think, but surely the average fan isn't worrying about Liverpool's chances of winning the title because as, as we've said before, football has been paused, it's not been <coughs> stopped, it's there, it's waiting for us, it'll be ready when we come back, nothing's going to change. Yeah, there's going to be some weird kind of in, in, inconsistencies that a lot of teams will be playing in different kits to what they start the season in and that's, that's <laughs> great for pub quizzes in 10, ten years time but for now it's just this is this is the new normal you yeah know, there's there's a hunger to get the season back but there's also a hunger for like lives to be saved and for this kind of crisis to to see its way through and, and i don't think you know running running it like rushing back to get football started i don't think it's a great idea yeah did anyone see um or hear rather uh, Sadio Mane on, I think it was yesterday, he was on Talk Sport, which somehow, with no sport to talk about, has actually become more tolerable. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a bit like Wise Men Say, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but he basically said, um, I know he's being diplomatic and whatever, but he basically said, like, look, if if the season gets voided, if it has to start again, like, so be it, kind of thing. Like, there's more important things in the world. And 
I get why there's coverage of it. I get like I mean like the athletic. I mean, God, they they, they picked the right year to launch, didn't they? <laughs> Nothing yeah. to talk about. Um, but I get why there's coverage, and and to be fair, I get why there is a focus on um, the money side of things because like this is like a kind of a kind of uh, a cliff edge that's been coming anyway and it's just been accelerated by all this so i do get that but i agree like i mean today i didn't wake up and think oh god i wish i wish we were playing afc wimbledon today <laughs> like i just like it's it's just become a fact of life that like yeah. it's sad that, I, it's sad that we're not but it's not the biggest tragedy is it no no exactly i mean like i know like yeah. i think i don't know whether you two did, but I know like Gareth, for example, had tickets for like the Euros, and like I had some tickets for the Euros yes, this summer, yeah. and like it's shit, yeah. But like, am I am I like distraught? Am I really upset? Like, no, because in the grand scheme of things, not being able to go to a football match is really like quite minor on the list of exactly. world problems at the minute, and um, like. Like, I think, I find it a bit daft, and I know you're going to go on this, Richard, but, like, when they're talking about, like, setting dates for, like, things getting started again, how how can they, when the government can't tell us when normal life's going to start going back, sorry, normal life's going to start returning, how on earth can, like, clubs talk about, like, oh, we're going we're gonna to start training on this day, and we're going to start playing games on that day, and it's just, it's quite, like unsavory like i know they've got to think about it and i know like there's the business element to it but it's just it's not it's not what people need to hear it's not and it it comes across as like one of the big slights on like football and one of the reasons like the government lazily turned around last week and said footballers should be um donating the wages despite the fact there's there's a significant section of society that can afford it more um it's because like football scene is out of touch and I think having these sorts of conversations in full view just like adds to that. Like it doesn't, it yeah. doesn't help. One thing I will say is actually, um, I think actually football players have come across really well um, during yeah, all totally. this. Oh, it's, it's the owners of the clubs that are actually like not doing themselves any favors. Um, football players themselves. I mean, Jordan Henderson. Um, I think I think it is completely fair that we retain like a right to like call him one of ours um just because people people like him people i saw i think danny rose donated something to like the nhs in doncaster because that's where yeah he's from donated like something like was it 19 grand and like like a load of load of pizzas as well like yeah and little little things like that the murphy twins down at norwich i I do out there volunteering they're doing yeah i saw that trips to the shops and they're doing like deliveries to prescriptions and stuff to people's doors so they're like really getting involved yeah as as we've said across society you find out who the good people are in these in these times um and you also find out who the who the not so good people are um, well, I and, think, and and a lot of us will make that choice when everything's back open as as to where to spend our money. I think uh, a lot of people aren't showing themselves in a good light, but don't go after footballers because it, it it's it, it does get to me that there are, as as Chris has said, there are many other people who can afford and they're not being targeted. Uh, it yeah. just you know, it, there's fifty there's fifty six billionaires in the country that that could just wipe out the NHS deficit in, in, in one fell swoop and not even notice that they've done it. You know, it's 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 a coffee to them. Exactly. And that's why, you know, Matt Hancock going after the footballers, you know why he is. It's an easy target. Like he could yeah. he could go after, like you're saying, Richard, billionaires like that who could like 
you know, easily afford to pay their staff, even if, you know, they're not able to work at the moment, or could give money to the NHS by, you know, just paying their taxes, because the NHS isn't a charity. The fact that the footballers, you know, it's brilliant that but, footballers have done this, but it shouldn't have to be the case. And the fact that Matt Hancock has gone after them, it's just disgusting and, like, <laughs> like I say, an easy target and... The thing as well is, you, you raise a good point there, though, Rory, like, about like, paying taxes and stuff. One of the reasons, like, football players, and this, it's hard to get the cut through because everybody just shouts on, but, like, one of the reasons football players have been reluctant to, like, just go, okay, like, don't have a pay is because they pay so much in tax yeah. anyway that yeah. they, they don't have any faith that if they do get the pay, doctor, it's not just going to go in the owner's pocket kind mm-hmm. of thing, and... Like yeah, no, I fully agree. I, I thought it was just a cheap shot. I mean, he's 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 a second rate idiot anyway, so I didn't really expect much better from him. But like, I think um, not just like in terms of players, but like I think one fan base actually that I think's come out of this really well is Liverpool's, because I think like it's it's really easy to kind of just turn a blind eye and defend anything your football club does. But they were actually like when Liverpool announced that they were putting the non-playing stuff on furlough um, when they made like, I think it was like a hundred million pound profit last year and that their fans were like really vehemently against it. And I think that's commendable. Like I think um, it could have been very easy for them and there were probably plenty that did who just go, well, yeah, like why, why why shouldn't we do this and that? But actually they've turned around and gone, well, there's a moral argument here and it's actually, it's pushed the club they're one of the few fan bases, to be fair, in the country that consistently have that as well. But well, they did that. They did that for the the seventy seven pound ticket thing, didn't they? Because that was against us yeah. under, uh, under Allardyce. In when we were wearing the top that Rory is wearing right now. Yes, correct. Um, and yeah, and I, and I think like look, I mean, there's there's a kind of historic kind of let's laugh at Liverpool sort of thing, and like the fans get on our nerves or whatever. But actually, like I, I think they've come across really well, and I think it's also. I mean, um, Richard, you said it there, like, we've seen, like, some people's, like, kind of true characters come out, and this this isn't a slight on uh, Newcastle fans at all, but it's quite telling that absolutely no one was surprised that um, that Newcastle furloughed the, um, the non-playing staff. Like, there's been, there's, there hasn't been, like, a register of kind of outcry, because that's exactly what we expect from that bloke. And that's that's yeah. that's not a criticism of Newcastle fans because they know for a fact that if they were to shout and scream, it's not going to make any difference. But I think it's um, <clears throat> you're right. Like there's a lot of like individuals who are showing themselves up, and the hope is that when this all gets back to normal, kind of um, we don't provide them with our customers much. But I'm not sure that'll happen. You'd hope that people would kind of say that and think, well, that's that's reputationally damage them for life i'm not i'm not going to go back there yeah um you know hopefully there'll be some pubs that develop an an app i'm not going to name any names of the pubs but if if another pub chain can develop an app as 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 useful as the the one that's gone before that would be great because you know that that's going to revolutionize people's behaviors (laughs) (laughs) it's it's really frustrating that within hours of the lockdown being announced you saw certain brands trying to get around it just being generally slippy characters and and then the next day when when they, they decided that they would close down they started ramping up the price of fitness active uh, fitness uh, equipment just little things like that people will remember people you know people will remember this yeah it's just i mean the the, the worst part of it all is that it it's in no way surprising um 
I like I, what I would like to think. Um, one of the upsides from this whole crisis is is that people don't because I still think like not just in this country, like across the world, people kind of venerate people who've got wealth and like say, oh, they must be they must have done something to deserve that and that. Actually, a lot. Look in, at the document we've just been talking about. Well, exactly, and like. I'm not going to even see in a majority of cases, but there's plenty of cases where people have become wealthy people just by being shitbags. And we're seeing like quite a few of them on show now. And I would like to think that it kind of invokes like a, a, a rethink of like how, whether we put these people on a pedestal or not, whether it will, I, I'm pretty skeptical, but um, I think going back to like talking about football, um, yeah, I think it it has shown that, especially especially in the Premier League, like as if we didn't know already, but like the people who own a lot of these clubs are so far out of touch with what, yeah, like totally. with with the people who has historically follow the game sort of thing, and it's um, I don't want to use the words like a reckoning, but I, I'm struggling to think of anything else. It, it is it it does feel like a really kind of crucial point. moment yeah yeah i think that's the best way to put it. it it does feel like that and um i know we're kind of we don't really give it we don't really care about when football is going to come back at this point in time but it will be interesting to see what transpires over the next couple of months do you think we'll get out of there sorry richard go on rory no go on i was just going to say i was thinking about this yesterday obviously people by the time football does come back, there'll be a big hunger for it. Like you get, like just sort of when there's been a close season. But obviously, a lot of people have been f- affected financially by the situation. You know, people are on either less pay, or people have lost jobs, or people aren't able to get jobs at the minute. I'm wondering, are we going to see a boost in crowds when football comes back, or is it going to be the opposite where people have had to prioritise a lot of expense, so there isn't an ability for you know for a lot of people to go to games and oh you know we're talking about companies sort of exploiting the situation you know when the lockdown first came in football could have a you know especially if for community clubs could have a vital role to play in sort of boosting people's morale by the time we get out of this and games are back and people are going to stadiums again and you know I know clubs especially at the level we're at need to make money but I think would go a long way with a lot of people if that first game had, you know, maybe reduced ticket prices, if there was big sort of community initiatives to make it a, a celebration of football being back and sort of life coming coming back to normal again for a lot of people. Because that will, that will be an issue. Like, we could think quite easily, like, oh, yeah, everyone's going to want to go to football again. But there's the reality of that and goes back to what you were saying, Chris, about owners, you know, being potentially out of touch. Like, they need to be looking at what the majority of ordinary supporters yeah. will have been through in this time. I think, um, like, I imagine we'll come on to, like, Sunderland specific in a minute anyway, but I think, to be fair, um, obviously we've, like, pushed back the kind of season ticket deadline and, like, when the first direct debit was meant to come out. I think the deadline was meant to be yesterday, Thursday, and the first direct debit was meant to come out in on the 1st of May. And they've pushed that back a month and they've said they're going to reassess it each month kind of thing. And while I'm not really sure they could have done much else without there being outcry, I think it's still kind of worthy of saying that that was the right thing to do. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I think we've already mentioned our friends up the road, but I'm pretty sure there was a story during the rounds that they were taking money out of 
people's accounts for like next season season card already which is just how how can you justify that when nobody has any we don't even know if next season's going to go ahead like we don't know yeah. like what what happens yeah. if we finish this season and then we just go right we've already got a couple of months left like we'll just write it off and we'll start again like in 2021 20, 22 sort of thing um so i thought from like a southern perspective i think the fact that they've done that um i think they, they had to in a way both because they're gonna they would lose i think they would definitely lose people if they hadn't like and people wouldn't be able to afford it but i think fair play that they have actually gone and done that um but it'll be interesting i think i like i like what you're saying rory but i'm probably being a bit cynical in that i just think especially at our level clubs are going to be getting to the end of this and really struggling financially no yeah. I, don't, I, I don't I agree. know I don't know that there's going to be... It's a hard one, isn't it? Because, like, I mean, even in our group of, like, us who do the podcast, we've got, like, a really, like, varied range of how people have been affected by this. Like, and it's... I I don't know, like, what is the makeup of, like, football crowds across the country, how how they've been affected. Um, It's too too difficult to to guess at, really. But I do think... um, I, my personal opinion is I think there'll be like unbelievable kind of like fervor for it, but it depends. The economic circumstances are going to really like temper that. Um, we might have a lot more parasites in the pubs. Put it that way. <laughs> I think the one thing we can say about our, our fan base is that they, even even in financially difficult times, they do make a, a judgment call to prioritize the club. And you know everyone's got their own individual circumstances. I, you know sometimes I can't justify spending like fifty quid on tickets for the family to go to the match, but other people can, and they, they will follow. They, you know they'll still follow us. They'll they'll get there by hook or by crook. If it means that they don't pay the electric bill, that's you know so be it. But they will well, still to, follow. Um, to be honest, though, and, we've, and we've spoken about it's, the... it's important. Oh, it's important that we that we don't as a club we don't rinse that because that is going to be one of the only revenue streams for the club going forward you know it is now gate receipts are a huge revenue stream in the past it was tv money we don't have to we don't have that to, to contend with now so it's important that the club don't go on a sales pitch too much um just trying to kind of exploit those those fans that will spend a large amount of money on the club more than probably do their own their own family um it's important that that they get the perspective right at this time yeah there's like um i know we've when we talked about the netflix documentary and um we mentioned um the gift of football thing there would be worse ideas than trying to get that going again once this all gets back to normal like if people who if people who um have i mean some people uh some people will benefit from this like you know in a sense in that they'll be able to work from home and they won't have all the assorted cost of getting to and from work and whatever kind of thing um this might be a bit of a like fantasy idea but could a gift of football thing work again when football starts up like just because it's not christmas doesn't mean that like people's need isn't greater and like people's um might be christmas by the time football comes back well yeah it might might well be yeah. (laughs) yeah yeah i mean yeah to be fair they've said haven't they like the bundesliga they're not expecting fans back in the ground until the new year so um, I think, I mean, I, I think the, the primary concern for a lot of clubs and depending on how long this goes on, 
and what kind if any factors change like i would include us in this is like are they still going to have a football club at the end of this because like we know like so many clubs live like hand to mouth like we know like i think it was like macclesfield and south end even before this kicked off have really struggled to to pay people this year um yeah i mean andy holt like Ackerman's guy who whatever whatever people think of him he does he does run it sensibly. He, I think he basically came out yesterday and said, like, the guys at Bolton might as well just pack pack up now. I'm pretty sure he said something along those lines because he's saying, like, it's going to yeah, be yeah, such such a diet, which is an awful thing to He obviously doesn't mean it maliciously. It's an awful thing to have to be said. And um, I think, like, I, when this first started, like, I was talking to some people and we were saying, like, it, it felt like kind of really doomsday to be like, we'll see four divisions reduced to three but i honestly depend on how long this goes on and depending on like whether there's like a willingness to work together or not i honestly don't think that's like a unrealistic scenario for the amount of clubs that could go to the wall i mean there was a thing in the mail the other day about like the championship clubs are talking about collectively going into administration so that they can rip up every everyone's contract and start again on like lower wages kind of and that's just like absolutely mental but it, it's kind of it's like what you were saying about that cliff edge though chris like yeah, this, yeah, is, this is, is becoming absolutely. like a reckoning isn't it like in in well not even indirectly but we didn't expect it but is this gonna pierce the bubble to an extent and you've i guess you have to hope that people do work together you know that we've obviously had the money come down from the Premier League, what was it, 125 million to be spread between the yeah. clubs in the EFL? Yeah. And we've had, like, in the summer, we did have a big wake up call in the fact that, you know, Bury no longer exists and Bolton, like you were saying, could still go out of business, but very nearly did in the summer. And I guess that becomes even more of a stark reality now. And hopefully, those with the money in the game look at that. And it means, sadly, I guess it means. Bury act as a bit of a martyr in that sense, and yeah. it becomes, oh God, this is going to happen. This that's you know, obviously but, it could have happened with many clubs anyway, but this is accelerating it, and they're big community things as well. Like imagine if when football does finally come back, there's a town, there's you know a few towns that don't even have that. Like the the effect yeah. that's going to have on communities and people's people's mental health when they're already coming out of like really difficult times if they can't even go and watch their local team. Like these things need to be considered we're seeing community spirit come out really well in a lot of aspects you know as you were saying Richard we're going to remember the people who've acted well in these times and if football clubs are a big beacon of communities especially in a town like Sunderland and if this is going to affect those then you know those with the money in the game do need to be doing they do need to be doing everything that they can you know clubs like Liverpool made 100 million pounds worth of profit and the Premier League's got all that money swilling around. I know they're worried about TV deals and whatever, but it needs to be levelled out. And these clubs at the bottom where it means everything in those towns, they've got to be protected. Well, the thing is as well, you mentioned like Bury there and like Bury being a martyr. Like that, even that didn't change like people's, like it didn't change like the kind of... um, I suppose, like, the, the limits to, like, bad people taking over football. I mean, look at the situation at Charlton. Like, they they were, like, 
they were all cock-a-hoop. They were delighted. They got rid of a bloke who was like a toxic influence for them. And then it sounds like, anyway, if if you believe one side of the story, that the guys who they've got in are no better, and they were still they were allowed to take over by the EFL after what happened with Berry. Like, I mean. I think we can talk about our own situation about how the club was taken over, which we won't go into in any great depth, but it was very contentious what was done here. It's very contentious what was done at Huddersfield, as has come out recently. Like, And like, I think if this doesn't, if this crisis doesn't like encourage the governing bodies and whomever else to kind of think, are we going to get a hold on this? Like nothing ever will. And I think, unfortunately, um, I think as much as I, I do think that we'll, we'll get to a point where they start thinking, OK, look, we really do need to start saving clubs here. I think there will be a few who go just because, like like we've said three times now, it was on a cliff. It, we were heading towards a cliff edge anyway. And there's going to be some that that, that don't stay, stay afloat and... Um, it's it's horrible. It's awful, really. I mean, like, what would I know? We're saying at the minute we're not really bothered about not going to the match, but we all talk to each other. We all know each other through the football. Like, we're all good mates through that, and we all we all keeping each other sane, doing stuff like this, and chatting about the football, and hopefully, people who are listening haven't fallen asleep at this little monologue <laughs> yet. But, but like, what what would we do without it? Like, it it would be it especially like where we're from it's 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 a part of life it's a massive part of life it's one of the things that makes something like an attractive proposition because god knows the football team hasn't for years so um yeah i think it's going to be interesting and it would there are far more important things in life than football but Dory, you said it best earlier when you said um it's the most important of the least of the non-important things and um hopefully they can like figure out a way but I'm quite cynical. I think we'll see a few teams go. Uh, the the trouble with with football is that it it forgets it forgets quite quickly. Those clubs yeah. that 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 go to the wall, you know, you've, there's a list of clubs that have gone disappeared out of out of existence. You know, you've got Darlington, you've got Aldershot, you had Accrington Stanley first time around. Um, you know, the, the clubs that just disappear from view and they come back un, under under new guises, but. But it's towns when towns lose football clubs when you know when when you've got a community that that assembles around a club and it's I said the other day football's an anchor you know it's 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 the, it's the kind of constant that runs through people's lives and it's it's a, it's a release it's something to do in the weekend it's something to to get passionate about when when there's not much to get passionate about in an, in an area and we can't we can't lose sight of that and hopefully and uh, and this is a big hope that a football collectively can kind of protect itself and the clubs yeah. that, that sit within that within that pyramid um <laughs> there's so much money at the top of the pyramid and so little money at the bottom of the pyramid that this needs to act as some kind of wake up that that it can't go on you know we can't have clubs running being run so unsustainably yeah you know you get all these clubs in the in the championship that are, that are in huge amounts of debt admittedly that they're in debt to their owners and it's interest-free loans but that's not the point. Those owners can you know, ship off if they wanted to. Well, that's a, it's. Sorry, it's yeah. really important. It's just. It's just really important that the money that drip that floods into the top of the game needs to needs to trickle down and drip into the the bottom of the game as well, so that the Accringtons and the Macclesfields and the South Ends are just as well protected as as the Liverpool's, the Man Cities, and the Manchester Uniteds. Yeah, I, and I think like you put on a really good point there, like especially like clubs in the Championship, like. 
part of the reason football is going to struggle through this is that when people see that like clubs like Redden, Redden, I think like their wage bill is it's either more than double or nearly double the amount they take in in a single year. So that's before you take into account any of like the expenditure of running the ground and the training ground and whatever else. And if that was any other business, people would say, well, you deserve exactly what you get. Like, why, what the hell are you playing at kind of thing? And that's where football is going to struggle to kind of carry much sort of favour, if you know what I mean. From like, like, I mean, we've already discussed like Matt Hancock's like, um, um, comments last week. The, the problem with those comments was they were directed at the wrong people in football. They should have been directed at the people who were literally just like, they're literally gambling their club's existence on their own kind of whim, if you know what I mean. And um, and I think I think that's going to be a big hurdle for like football clubs to clear because look, there's going to be there's a there's a hell of a lot of um, people affected by this. There's a hell of a lot of businesses going to be affected by this, and I I don't think football clubs are going to be very far up the pile. I mean, we've we've seen the the debates over like furlough and stuff, and people saying football clubs are not what this was for or certain football clubs are not what this was for and um i think it, it's gonna like in a perverse way it's gonna be really interesting to see what happens but i i think there are gonna be some big casualties at the end of it yeah so hopefully we can get, I, just want, I just i feel like pure shit, shit and i just want football back <laughs> <laughs> especially after this it's, it's been very uplifting hasn't it it's going very we haven't even discussed something that much in this. I bit. know exactly. <laughs> no, we haven't. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna bring things to a close here because because uh, Rory's uh, for for those who can't see, obviously everyone else apart from us three can can see um, that Rory's in his running gear and he wants to get out and he's he's literally champing at the bit now. He's he's. Uh, I think you're being. I think I think you're doing as giving us too much credit there, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we'll we'll bring things to a close, but. Just a little bit of a plug for our um, our pandemic pods that we've been that we've been working on. We're trying to keep spirits high, not just for for the listeners, but for us as well. So we've been doing a few kind of deep dives into into music. We did music the other day. We've, we're we're doing films as well. Um, we're going we're going to start doing like recipes on the side of um, crisp packets, things like that. Just just went run out of things to, to deep dive on. So um, so yeah. But enjoy enjoy them while they're, while while they're going. Another while quiz soon as well. About. That was recorded the other day. The, what was that? Another quiz to be released yes. soon as well. That Another was recorded quiz. the other day. Yeah, the quizzes have been very popular. Um, so that, that we had to add a second semi-final so there's going to be another quiz as well for the final we're not going to give any away of, of who's going to be in the final but obviously already through is uh, Tom Walsh who, who swatted aside Chris Weatherspoon <laughs> Fluke. In, the, uh, in the first <laughs> semi-final. Fluke. I mean, there was there was all too to many coronas. For. It was all to play for until until the Ali McCoy question. Ali McCoy, just yeah. seemed to get away. Just seemed but to get away from you. To give that. a teaser but, for the next quiz, it's it's quite dramatic. I would say the next one. Brilliant. Is it like garden furniture being thrown around? Well, Stephen's involved. I was about so, to say yeah. Stephen's on it. Does the does the water cannon make an appearance? <laughs> yeah. You got arrested halfway through. That's what. <laughs> Brilliant, but yeah, have a, have a look through our, our podcasts, wisemanstay.co.uk. Um, pick out pick out a couple of episodes that you, that you that you can listen to while enjoying your Easter weekend. Um, have a good Easter. Stay at home. Protect the NHS and fuck the mags.
Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.